Welcome to my best 11 podcast. Today we are doing a, I suppose it's called fan edition um, as such, with a man, an author, who is quickly becoming one of the go-to people for all historical things Luton, particularly under Mr. David Pleat. Today we are joined by a man who has written the first volume and is currently um, got his second volume um, with the publishers. They're about to release it in mid-May, the second volume. The man who wrote, um, or writing, I suppose as well, they played for David Pleat. Um, today we are joined by Phil, the kit man Duffy. How are you, Phil? I'm very well, mate. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely introduction. No, it's an absolute privilege to have you on here. Um, Marvin, how are you? How are you, sir? You good? I'm good. I'm good, I'm good Angie. I'm yes. good. Looking, ready, looking forward to this best 11 with Phil and um, it's going to be very interesting. It is going to be. So we are looking at the era, just to give people a, a goalpost era, um, of between 1975 and 1995 and what phil has had what phil has amazingly done is um instead of normally those people listening to the podcast are who normally give us kind of clues about which club they play for color of their hair that type of thing phil what are you thinking of doing what's the the and i'm not taking any credit for this the brilliant idea that phil came up with what what how are you going to do it for for the listeners and ourselves phil so so what i thought i'd do is is to make it a bit more interesting rather than just saying you know who my favorite players were as, as a kid and then growing up um because the, the the book's been such a big part of my life for the last three years or the whole project um what i thought i'd do is is my favorite stories um for the players in those positions so what i'll do is is rather than just saying well they started out at Aberdeen and then they moved south and they did this and that so I'm going to read you a little bit of my favorite little extracts little favorite little anecdotes from from the book and it and it's actually there's going to be some spoiler alerts because some of them are in book two so Ooh. so people won't have even heard these as well excellent so excellent. you've got to guess it from from what from what I'm doing in that passage that sounds brilliant because people don't they they've had a few teasers there's quite those people who particularly follow you on social media will have seen a few teasers on there um about who's coming um yeah. partly because of requests and partly <laughs> why isn't he in here <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and also um obviously this will be released at pretty much the same time as that second um as the second volume is coming out so that'll be fantastic Fabulous. to give the listeners mm. some ideas so we are going the first question i've really got is before we jump into the the whole team you've got is could i just ask a really really simple question mm-hmm. why luton why oh. why do you support the great team at the correct end of the M1. Quite simply because uh, I lived walking distance, rolling down from Farley Hill. Um, you know, growing up, my older brother, <clears throat> Stephen, um, in the 70s, he went with his older mates uh, and the next door neighbours. And I was insanely jealous um, at six years old that I couldn't go along as well. You know, um, but uh, eventually I did get to go down there. A friend of mine, um, his dad was a steward down in the Oak Road end. So... Uh, my mum's fear was the, the hooliganism that was going on in the in the 70s um, for, for, you know to, to stop me from going but she knew that, that this this steward was a big big burly fella Mick Parkin um, and and it was just fantastic it was a, it was a dream because we used to get down there really early um, and we'd have the whole ground to ourselves it became our playground um, and as the players came in people like Paul Price and Bob Hatton and players like that they would come in Emilia Alexic and it was just it was just absolutely amazing and we even got to speak to John Motson um, when he was getting ready for a BBC broadcast he was there early and he was looking you remember Marv you remember that big TV gantry yes. and the ladder <laughs> they used to have to climb up 
um and he and he was telling us that he wasn't wasn't uh, looking forward to it and he was like do you know come on you lads you look you lads look fit enough you you do you want to do the commentary for match of the day tonight and we were like oh go on then and he went then he looked at us and he realized that we weren't kidding <laughs> we were like 12 years old we were like yeah we'll do it but it was just fantastic and it just became our playground you know um just just absolutely brilliant and it was but <laughs> it was obviously the days before Kid, every kid was armed with a mobile phone you know and so we we didn't ever take any pictures um you know these days we'd, we'd be it would be selfie 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 but it was great but we didn't even think of that we didn't even really get, gather autographs of that we just love being in the environment and just getting that sort of that that nod from the players and the, and you know Pete himself as well would kind of get to realize that we were there early and we'd be there late because um and it was quite interesting because we'd always we'd have to wait outside the old stewards room do you remember it was the, the maple road corner the triangle Marth, up in that corner of the stand yes where the, where the yeah. stand ended before it got to the kenilworth road terrace there was that yeah, I think they yeah. the triangle there was there was the stewards hut there just behind just before you got to the main stand and we always wondered why the stewards would go in there but and then a few hours a few minutes later hours a few minutes later they come out with little red rosy cheeks and they'd They'd all had a little sip or something while they were in there, bless them. <laughs> but um, no, it, it was fantastic. So it was a no-brainer. So we're literally up on Farley Hill. So we, we it was just walking distance for us, bunch of kids. So we, every reserve, every youth game, midweek, we we would be down there as well. We just loved it. We couldn't get enough of it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Local boy, local team. That's what we like to hear. So we're going to jump into your best 11. Um, oh, let's go straight in. What formation are you doing yeah. to your okay. best 11? So, so 4-3-3. Four three three, but as we know, it it kind of was a like a false four three three. A lot of the time, it was that it was that as as the guys would would call it a sort of a, a three and a half sort of thing. It becomes almost becomes like four two four. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, so we, we're going with that. But um, there's definitely a few surprises in there. I, I, you know, it's it's not going to be as 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 obvious as you may think. Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll go straight into goalkeeper then. Let's get going. Do you want some honourable mention? Yeah, we can have some honourable mentions. Yeah, we'll do honourable mentions After or before. Or do do after. Let's do them after. Let's do it after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, So... After one hour with David Pleat and Ken Guttridge, so there's there's a there's a date timing with Ken Guttridge. So with Ken from Luton, I felt very much at ease. David joked and winked at me and said that we were going that we were from a little fishing village down south called Luton. I phoned my wife and told her what had happened and saying that I felt I was going nowhere at Villa and asked how she'd feel about a move to Luton. And she went quiet and then asked, well, where's Luton? So I signed for Luton that day, and we went down on the Wednesday. We couldn't find the ground, so we had to stop and ask where it was. Um, And then somebody said, it's up there, along with the car park and the offices. The guy pointed to the last house up on the right, telling us that they were the offices. We arrived and looked around at the ground, and my wife looked at me and said, oh, what have we done? To be fair, coming from Villa Park to Kenilworth Road was quite a change, but it was the beginning of a marvellous four or five years. And when people ask me where I enjoyed my football most, I always say Luton Town. Was he Scottish? He still is. (laughs) (laughs) You got it, Andrew? Jake Finley. Finley? You got it. You got it. So it was the part where he'd, um, he'd been approached by David and he'd taken his new assistant manager, Ken Guttridge. So that was a dating time there. 
Yeah. Um, I, didn't because know, Ken, I, couldn't, but, I don't know why. I had a blocky. I didn't realise it was at Villa. It's, two, yeah. it's, it's five in the morning. I'll wake up. Yeah. Fair play. Fair play. Yeah, he'd actually been he'd actually been at Villa um from, from an apprentice. He actually won the youth cup in around 71, 72, I think. Um so he was at Villa for a good six or seven years. But um yeah, he kind of fell out of love with Ron Saunders, as a few people, a few players would testify over the years. But just as many would say that they loved him. So, you know, it's the yin and the yang, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was Drake like to um in terms of when he, he said he got a lot of access to players, what was he like when he was around Amazing. the place? Yeah. 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 Could you, so tell the, all... could you tell the people that were almost dads and the people that was weren't dads yet? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Because you can see it in yes. quite a lot of sports, particularly afterwards when the players, when the kids go on the pitch, you can tell the dads and you can tell the ones who aren't quite dads. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose. I suppose looking back, I can see that now. But at the time, it was I was just I was just staring. I was even looking up at you know some of the shorter players. I won't name them because uh, they might be in the in the in the best 11 but yeah i think that looking back now yes i can i can probably see from some of the behavior um obviously as we know there was some <clears throat> blurred lines um with morality you know in some junctures but obviously that wasn't for, for a seven-year-old version of myself to to understand and and to uh to acknowledge what that was it was just these footballing heroes that were, that were just passing by me you know little ruffle of the hair hello mate how are you you know you're here again, you know, but it was just like just a dream. That's something in itself as a seven-year-old, the fact they recognise you week in, week out. The fact it's yeah. again, which means they remember yeah. you. And for a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, that's yeah. like, wow, they, they do remember yeah. me. Yeah, it really was. Oh, excellent. Excellent. We're going to keep playing before we, like I said, we're going to deep into, we're going to dive into the book in a minute. We'll keep going a couple more into the team. Um, loving this, this extracts way. So are you reading directly from your book, Phil? Or are you paraphrasing? Well, I've, made, I've just made little notes. Yep. I don't know if you're paraphrasing or you're quoting directly. Well, I'm 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 editing as I go because obviously some of it would <laughs> give it away. So um, yeah, I'm 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 on my toes, so to speak. Excellent. We'll move to right back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I've 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 subheaded um, subheaded this, cutting off the legs of tables for the contract talk. So Marvin might have had some some of this. Okay. So uh, when I came when I came back from my second knee injury in the 1985-86 season, I became the first to play in the first division, having both knees reconstructed. We didn't have agents back in those days. You just went into David Pleat's office. And he had a great ploy where he had his desk and he had his chair at a certain height and he'd had the legs on the, on the chair that you sat on cut down to size so that when you sat down, you were looking up at him. The effect was amazing. He would go, he would get into a serious conversation about how lucky you were about getting this contract, telling us we'd done all right and we wanted to offer you this and that. Uh, and building you up and making you feel like you'd done really well. However, at the same time, you'd feel that he'd make you feel that the, you you were lucky at getting this offer and you should be grateful. And he basically gave me a crap offer. Um, and that was just that was just what he was like. And we all knew it. Uh, and it was the way he ran the club. He had a certain amount of power to do it. So this is at the towards the end of the 85-86 season. And there's some um, important there's some important clues in there as well as well about the the, the two reconstructed was, knees. Yeah, that was the season I joined from school 85-86. Mm. Andrew, you got anyone? I've, I mean, I've got one guess throughout. You keep going, Marv. All right, Rob Johnson. Absolutely. So, I'll just Johnson. go with my gut. <laughs> yeah, Rob Johnson. Rob Rob was just fantastic. Yeah. He'd been a he he was he was around um as a kid from I think he came in about 77, 78. So he was one of those faces that you always saw 
when you go down, he'd be always out there with the pitchfork and bits and pieces being run around by Dick Wassell or um, Reg Game, the old physio before um, before John Sheridan. But so how, um, how old was he in '85? Because I always I always thought he was younger. That's no, why he was, still, he was still he was still only about 24. And he had both knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll tell you another uh, interesting part. The first knee operator, the first knee that when he did that was actually on a, a pre-season tour of Finland and um, the player in the opposition that, that where, it, where, where it occurred was actually a Luton player. This is a little bit of trivia and it's in the book. He was a Luton player who actually went out to Scandinavia every summer and, and played for Scandinavian teams to earn extra money. It was an Irish lad called Seamus Heath and he was at Luton from 79 to uh, I think 83 and then he, he, he had a pro career Again, great grounding at Luton. Had a pro career at Wrexham, Tranmere, League of Wales, back in Northern Ireland. Still still works with Mal Donaghy now um, for the Irish FA. Um, but he caught, well, they were running together and Seamus's laces, uh, or it was Rob's laces, trying to think which way around, they caught in Seamus's boot. And Rob, Rob, you know, he stopped running, but Seamus kept going. So his he took his leg and his knee and he just... It popped, and it was just one of those freak things. But uh, amazingly, he was playing in Scandinavia, and it was actually a Luton player that was playing for this Scandinavian team at the time. Have you ever had any of those type of injuries, Marv, or heard of those? That's a really freak one. That is a freak one. No, I mean, very unlucky. I don't know know as much as we kind of joke about, kind of, um, to a certain extent, joke about your kind of injuries on and off, on and off, and the fact that they, um, the fact that you didn't get to play as much, particularly towards the back end of your career. Were any of them that type of injury kind of strangeness? What was the weirdest one that ever kind of put you out for a while? No, I didn't, I didn't you never have put any... your foot through a glass table whilst playing with the kids no, or any of those type of things? Nothing like that. Just the, the, the run of the mill, hamstring, torn hamstring, ruptured Achilles tendon, medial ligament damage, n- nothing really. I mean, again, I mean, yeah, we do joke about it. I mean, I could have played a lot more games. I had not had as many injuries, but there were more, not what I call like serious, serious injuries. Because I mean, you, you can have some like awful injuries in the game which could finish you. So very grateful and thankful that mine weren't like career ending. Well, you're still running around now. And I yeah. suppose if you had those type of injuries, excuse me, you wouldn't be, would you? No, true. Yeah, Rob, Rob I mean, Rob, Rob had a, like a, a, ter- yeah, a terrible bit of luck with those, with those knee mm. injuries. Yeah. Do yeah. either of you know, did that scare him? Did it worry him? To kind of every time he ran, was he always watching? Did he ever mention that to either you, Marv, or to you, Phil, that kind of a bit more wary of when he was running next to somebody that, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it plays, <laughs> is it subliminally in the back of your mind? No, I think it was such no. a, to me, I think it was such a freak, a freak thing for it to happen again. Um, I don't think it was a really, it really played on his mind. Um, yeah, just a, a real freakish thing to have happened yeah i mean the second knee injury was just a good old-fashioned sundown player came at roker park came through the back of him you know so and that that that's what did his the, the other knee um you know a little bit more of a traditional injury so to speak yes but yeah. uh but is yeah. he still marvel is he still over in or either he's, was he in czech, 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 was he in czech republic czech, yeah. Yeah. Was still over there? yeah when we spoke with him yeah and he still enjoyed yeah. himself over there. Yeah, Excellent. yeah. He was he was over in Bedford uh, a couple of weeks ago because he's he's doing a, a little bit um, of, of work there again. We, which is what he was doing three or four years ago. He's like he'd do a week uh, physiotherapist in Bedford or the, that sort of area, and then the other three weeks at his own practice in the Czech Republic. Excellent, excellent. We'll keep going to left back. Mm, let's do that. 
Okay, so I've, I've, you may have played in this game, Marv. Oh. So, but, but it would have been a very young version of yourself. I know David. I know David Oldfield definitely played this game, but it's not David Oldfield. I've not put him at left back. Bless him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, 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 I've headed this one. Joe, Do- Joe Jordan punch story. So the caliber of the players on the opposition in the reserves was amazing. The fantastic for me as a 15-year-old kid. One game in particular, I remember being on the receiving end of a not-so-pleasant learning experience. I played in a reserve team game against Southampton. Joe Jordan was playing for the Saints team on that day. A corner came over. I don't even think I was marking him, but he punched me square straight in the chest whilst everyone's eyes were on the flight of the ball. It was unbelievable, but he did it just to intimidate me. I was 15 and with Joe Jordan standing over me, snarling at me with no front teeth. This legendary Scottish international who by now was in his mid-30s, but he was still as competitive as ever. It was painful, but still a great example to put maximum effort in every time you play or train. Perhaps perhaps not to go around punching people, but still, <laughs> still a part of a great learning experience all the same. And it helped to make me a little bit more streetwise. I think I did play in that game I, and I mm. probably peed him off. I'm glad he didn't punch me. <laughs> well, I tell you, I tell you, was it you or was it Tim Breaker that he chased? I think it was Tim because Tim told me that he caught him in that game. He came through him behind him and right. genuine tried to get the ball. And Joe Jordan literally chased him. It was like right, something I out, mean, of, out, of, out of the playground. I, I do. I, re- I, I, re- I, re- I remember. Yeah, I remember. I remember the games. I mean, I remember. I mean, Andrew, did you know who the player is? I thought you can go to Tim Breaker. Who is the player? Richard Harvey. It is Dickie Harvey, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember playing in that game because I remember Dickie going to me. <laughs> wow, he just punched me. And I went, oh, you must have really peed him off. I hope he doesn't punch me now. <laughs> we were young kids. Yeah, we were and, young kids. And, and you've got to remember if anyone is too young that's watching this doesn't remember Joe Jordan, Googling without it when he played, he didn't play with his front teeth in. And he was a he was a menacing enough guy. He played for Leeds and Manchester United in the in the proper hardcore 1970s and he could handle himself. Uh yeah. Scottish international, you know, he'd done it all. But by now he yeah. was playing he was playing for Laurie McMenemy Laurie McMenemy, easy for me to say. But I'll put my teeth in like Joe did. Yeah. Um, but he was playing for Laurie by then um, at Southampton, as, as a lot of the good old ex-players well, that were getting to the end of their career seemed to do that. It did seem to have a bit of a dad's army down at Southampton, but it worked for a while because they were, I think they were runners Bournemouth, up. Bournemouth, in, Bournemouth runners and Brighton, they, yeah. they seem to always do that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, but I just thought it was a great story. Um, actually, only just recently um, did the interview with Richard, and Richard's got into uh, into book two. He was actually surprising. He was around around the club from 1980, from when he was 11. He was he That's was right. brought in. He was only in Letchworth, and he's still there now. He's never left Letchworth, but he was coming in. So he came through, did all the Blau wits, and did all the all the pre-season training, you know, running, watching Jake Finlay getting slower and slower and disappearing into the bushes for a cigarette. And, you know, just just fantastic. Just, you know, to, to, to draw on this experience is just wonderful. Dick, Dick, yeah, Dickie, um, I mean, I, I came to the club late. I mean, when I mean late, I mean, when when they have schoolboys and boys, they, they recognise as maybe be potential players. It wasn't until, I think, maybe... It, a couple of years, whereas Dickie would, like you said, has been at the club for a long, long, long time. And mm. when I joined, and many other apprentices did join that year, I think it was the most, I think, record in yeah. in the club. I, mean, I think it was something like ten or eleven players. Yeah, yeah. From, I think that, couple, from that year. Yeah. And yeah, Dickie got, was, the, got, funny we, enough, Dickie was the first one, if I remember right, out of all of us 
to make his his debut. He was the first one to actually play yeah. in the first team. Well, he was at England schools, wasn't he? Uh, England yeah. schools at fourteen and fifteen, and then I think he played at under nineteen level as well. So he did. He, um, he, he went to the two. Is it the Toulon tournament or whatever it was? Yes. Yeah, and I think he went out South, to Brazil as well. He went South, and out. Him, yeah, and Ian Scott went to the England trials. Mm. As they had him back in the day, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Dicky, Dot Man Dicky. Yeah, got a lot of time for him. So you, you mentioned you interviewed him a few days ago. How, just just take us all the way back. I know well fair before we start this, you were talking about three mm. or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. How did this? How did this come about? Where, where did the the thought <laughs> behind this? What you what you said? What you thought would be a really interesting project, and now is kind of I assume over, almost overtaken your life. How, where did it come yeah. from? Yeah. Well, um, over over the years, I've I've had I've I've had um, magazine articles and bits and pieces that that I've that I've had published um, just for fun, just just writing articles for fun, and you know you get paid 30, 40, 50 quid for an article if it gets used, and it's always nice. But it was just nice to see you, you, yourself in print. And I'd always been interested in the the FA Youth Cup side, having gone to most of those games when I was about thirteen. In it was just a little bit before you, Mark, um, with um, when Mark Steen and Carl McConville and Richard Cadet and Gary Parker and Tim Breaker and Mitchell Thomas just had a fantastic youth side in 82-83 and I thought it would be nice to um, to do a, a magazine article on on those guys um, and a new Kyle a new Kyle McConville um, through a friend of mine he was another South Luton boy because he was he was at he was at my rival high school he was at Stockwood and whereas I was at Rotherham High School so you know it was a little bit of a bit of all that going on it all kind of come up to the surface again no I'm only kidding um (laughs) (laughs) me and Carl were the boys that were hiding behind the trees while all the scrapping was going on but um no I'm only kidding but uh, so for, so from there, I spoke, spoke to Carl. Marvin was one of the early ones that I contacted via email, didn't we? We first spoke on yeah. email. Um, and I was working at Oxford City with um, with David Oldfield. Um, he was my gaffer over there. And uh, so we started talking and then, then got in touch with Alan Judge, being locally to the, to the club because he was still um, over Oxford way. So and it grew from there. <clears throat> and then um, COVID hit, which, you know, People have a bit more time on that. And so people, as you know, Mike Saxby started getting quite vocal on social media and, and Seamus himself, Seamus Heath, who I mentioned earlier, he, um, he he became more and more. So we just started interacting with these guys a bit more. And it just grew from there. We was we, we did a few interviews and we thought, well, we'll see how it works. Um, and then with all the guys, I'd email it back to them and say, well, what do you think? You know, and they were like, absolutely love it. I haven't thought of this stuff for 30 odd years. You know, here's another phone number. This such and such is going to be interested in doing this. And then eventually, as I say, it went, you know, from, from you know, emailing Marvin and, and Aaron Ty and a few lads like that. And all of a sudden I've got, I've got Jake Finlay and Kirk Stevens and, and you know, Mike uh, Saxby and then, and then Steve Foster and Paul Elliott and Paul Walsh and Wayne Turner. And I'm just like, Pete Nicholas and I'm just like you know and I and and I do remember talking to Ricky on the phone early doors and David and they funny enough they both said the same thing to me they both said um you've got yourself into a privileged position take your time with it don't rush it and don't fuck it up (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully I haven't oh Ricky said that that, absolutely yeah 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 you'd listen to that from Ricky as well headline Ricky Hill swears (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but you took uh, that on board and that's exactly what you did absolutely 
absolutely so um you know it, it was just a, an absolute labor of love so you know you'd get still even now i still get that little buzz when someone messages me back and said yeah i'll do it yeah okay i spoke to colin todd who spent a little bit of time at luton in 84 85 when paul elliott was injured um and you know you still get that little buzz when they come back to you and go yeah can we do it tomorrow or you know on bob hatton or someone like that comes back and that was a really amazing win Bob came back to me. I finally got through through past his wife. His wife was a bit of a firewall, bless her. <laughs> he was like, "What do you want? What do you want him for? What do you want to speak to my Bob for? What do you you know? What angle are you going at? You know, and all this." And it was just great. And then all of a sudden, there was a there was a silence on the phone, and she just went, "Bob." So I was like, "Oh, I've got through the firewall." <laughs> and he, <laughs> she was lovely though. She was really nice. And then Bob come to the phone, and he's like. Well, give me a week to think about a few stories and call me back at seven o'clock next Wednesday. And I was like, for a whole week, I was just like, I'm going to talk to Bob Hatton. This is going to be so good. And this is 60 interviews in, you know, yeah. so I'm still getting that tingle and that buzz is just, just, just fantastic. And I tried to set it up um, just as in a conversational kind of way. It, it seemed to work rather than just black and white. I ask you a question, you you answer. Then, you know, some, some of the lads, when I listen back to it, it's like, Blimey, we just chatted about this, that, and everything for about 20 minutes. And then they come round and they just give you a, a golden story. Mm. And it's like, that was it. That that that's what we've been, you know, that's what we've been waiting for. But if you try and force it, I mean, Wayne Turner, bless him, was the most prepared, most prepared <laughs> player ever. I, it was I probably the least I spoke. It was the least I spoke in any of them. And I love Wayne. But he was just like, right, are you ready? Here we go. <laughs> and he, he just, he was off. He was off. Oh, and he, was the, he was the most meticulous as well. When it went, I as I say, I I sent him out. yeah, he went over everything and he went, oh, couldn't it just, I know we spoke about that, but can we just, you know, can we just change this a little, a little bit, a little bit of the wording? It's really it's like, great to hear. You still get that kind of, like you said, the, the fan, the fan moment of, oh, and, and that kind mm. of, that feeling of I'm, I'm talking yeah, to this yeah. person. I'm finally, mm. and, and is that still, is that even more the case now? Obviously, like you said, you did a lot of it during COVID. A lot of it was on the phone. Has that kind of gone up to another level since you've been doing even the signings? Because I know you've been around, yeah, all think, over think... the place, not just around Luton, but around the whole area, three counties, yeah. doing the signings. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of gone beyond that sort of fan thing. And now you're on that level with, and you, and you know, we will, we did about six of the players came to Hitchin Town uh, a couple of Monday nights ago. Um, and it's and it's just become oh hi Mick how are you you know well Steeny you're right there's something to eat over there just sort of sit yourself down and it's it's just become that and my mate sat there and he's going well this is all bloody surreal isn't it <laughs> what's going on <laughs> but uh, yeah it's just it's fantastic and you know and the, and the guys will, will quite often call and bits and pieces especially as we're as you say we're we're arranging um, you know. Uh, player signings and bits and pieces and uh, we're looking to do something with uh, Faker Others has come on board Talk Sport oh, brilliant. so Faker Others is going to do she's agreed to host some evenings with so um, we're going to be doing some of those um, for the launches of book two so we may when this goes out we may have already put that to press but there's a, something a little bit hot off the press Paul Elliott I spoke to Paul last night um, he's agreed to do them so he's going to we'll, we'll have a local either do it down at Luton Town or we'll have a local venue and Faker, others from Talk Sport and Sky Sports. She's a massive Luton fan, as you know. Yeah. Um, she's going to come and host the evening, so she very graciously agreed to do that. 
um yeah so we're looking to do that so i said to paul elliott who's who's going to be a natural partner on the stage because we're looking to you know buddy up and we agreed that paul walsh would be a fantastic buddy for him as they've known each other from 10 year old kids in south london so so that will be a, a special really special night to get paul elliott and uh paul walsh up it's on stage and hosted by faker so oh, that's we're kind of like right. taking it to it we're looking to take it to another level yeah Oh, and, and fantastic. And give people who maybe aren't into reading even still an opportunity Absolutely. To, to get access yeah, yeah. to some of these stories and to hear them. Um, and, and that's that's absolutely great. Mm. Um, we'll keep going with the best 11. We'll move yep. on to your centre back. Okay. Remember, people, this can be anywhere from 75 to 95. I'm not just talking to listeners. I'm giving myself a pep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one, this one is subtitled Les, Les Seeley Race Story. Okay. So I, I got this trick from Brian Horton as he used to catch out the lads with it at Brighton. I said to Les Seeley, I'll race you for a tenner, a tenner each over 50 yards, and I'll give you a 20 yards head start. Les readily agreed to the challenge. One of the other lads held the money and started us with the on your marks, set, go. And off we went. I just jogged with Les sprinting off 20 yards ahead so we couldn't smell a rat and see that I was only jogging. I gently made my way over to collect the 20 quid, and Les started complaining. Hey, what are you doing? I beat you. And I explained to Les, I said I would race you for a tenner each. I didn't say that I would beat you. Les couldn't argue with that, but you had to make sure that you'd got the tenner off the other player to pay up ahead uh, and get another player to hold the, both the tenors. Otherwise, they'd never pay up. So Brian Horton had done this to Gary Stevens at Brighton. Gary actually burst out crying when he got caught out with this. And I believe that he, that Brian also got uh, got uh, caught out a young Godfrey Ingram in 1981 when Brian joined Luton from Brighton as well. So who told that story? That's what you got to guess. That's what, that's what I'm thinking, right. <laughs> Got no clues. I mean, I, I this is this is the first one I'm struggling on. But I... So he started his career um, as a professional at Ports in nineteen. Okay, I got him. Five seven six. I thought it was him. Yeah, that's what mm. I thought. Because yeah, go on. Steve Foster. Yeah, Steve Foster. Aussie. Steve Foster. Absolutely. Obviously played. Obviously Brighton connection as yeah, well. And, yeah. 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 So yeah, I thought that was a good good thing to drop him that yeah. you'd. You'd, you'd maybe catch on with the Brighton thing, but um, as a small yeah. thing, Fossey would have done as well with Les. There's <laughs> <laughs> only few, it's very few people, from what I understand, that could have got away with that. With oh, definitely. <laughs> um, but you have to. The very important thing was you have to get both players to pay up first. Otherwise, it's just like what, what? But you can't argue with that. I just I said I'd race you. I didn't say I'd beat you. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned that the conversation was there. How easy is it to get these stories out of players? Um, because that's a real niche one. Do you kind yeah. of have to go, like you said, you go around the houses for 15 minutes and then they not, give not you... Not always, not always. So, some, you know, some of the guys are, um, that you know, it's all, it's almost, it's there. But some of them you do have to just mine it out a little bit. But, you know, the, the whole, whether it's, whether it's there or you're mining it, it's still enjoyable. It's still an enjoyable process chatting to these guys. Um, but yeah, you what... I learned quite quickly uh, from listening back to the interviews and then typing them up. I kind of learned what sort of question, you know, how to, when to listen and when to chip in, because you can, you, I, I found in the early interviews that I was kind of a little bit quick to chip in. And where if I just sat back a little bit more and let the, let the guys talk, it would, it would come out. But it, all I needed was just a little few little things about were you putting digs? Who were you in digs? Uh, what was, you know, what was, what was training like? What was your, what was your routine as an apprentice like? You know, who, who were you looking after when you was an apprentice? Or, you know, when you came into the club, who, you know, who did you know before you'd got there? And it's little things like that. And then it just takes 
people away. So you're just always learning from listening back to the to the recordings of the interviews. You you kind of get to know what works, um, when when to when to chip, when to chip in and try and help it along a little bit, um, and when to just let the story come. No, oh, definitely, def. We're gonna keep going. You got Fozzy there. Who is next to Fozzy at centre back? Who indeed? Now this one I am gonna because I changed my mind. I changed my mind in the in the part that I was gonna uh, I was gonna read. Did you, have you found that, still, is that very David Pleat esque? Do you think Pleaty would have changed his mind that quickly? <laughs> <laughs> it would be considered. It would be a considered uh, decision. Okay, right then. So in in a, in the week leading up to New Year's Day, nineteen eighty. So there was a game on the pitch at Kenilworth Road two or three days before we were due to play Chelsea at home on New Year's Day. Unfortunately, before Dick Bossel would have the chance to replace all the divots, there was a freeze, and we tried. We tried. We tried. We we tried to train on the pitch and it was terrible. So David Pleat told us to report as usual on New Year's Day for the Chelsea game. Um, but he said he was 99.9% classic that it was going to be called off. So taking Pleaty at his word, and with it being New Year's Eve, Ricky and I were invited over the street on Pointers Road where Colin Bourne and his wife lived. Colin ran the Century Club at Luton Town. So we thought, why not? which led us to drinking until 2am. So arriving at Kenilworth Road, and I can't vouch for how Ricky felt, but I had a stinking hangover, only to be told by Pleat the referee had passed the pitch playable and the game was on. <laughs> Players turning up with hangovers. What's Whoa. that all about, Marvin? I know, that never happened in my day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, um, so New Year's Day was 1980. He, was, he, was, was he Welsh? He was never Welsh. Okay. I see where you're going with it. Yeah. <laughs> and even he... the one you're thinking of, he wasn't Welsh, even though he did play for Wales. Oh, really? Yeah, it was yeah. It was his dad that was Welsh. So he was born in, I think, Welling Garden City, but he qualified through his dad. So he was as Welsh as you and I, Miles. Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. It was acceptable in the eighties. I assume it was somebody therefore who's in digs with Ricky. <gasps> you go. Andrew, it's five in the morning there, but you're on it, mate. That's why that's why I was I've done half the work. <laughs> and I and I was in the same digs. And who who would who would have taken it? Who would have taken full advantage of? Uh, there's there's no going to be no game. We're on the ale. But I I mean it wasn't it wasn't um, a central defender. It was. I can think. No, I know your one is, but the person <laughs> I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If the person I'm thinking of wouldn't wouldn't I mean was someone else. Oh, Gary Parker. Um, You're thinking of Gary Parker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Okay. Started at Mansfield Town. Have we mentioned him already? Not in this podcast. You have in a previous podcast. And you've had him on. Him on. Mm-hmm. He told you a story about his going in to do the negotiation for the deal, um, along with his dad. And his dad was like, let me deal with it all. I'll deal with it all. You oh, let me all. And, and he had Eric Morgan yeah. sat there. And, he, and his dad was dumbfounded, yeah. couldn't, couldn't speak. Sachs. Mike Sachs. Michael Saxby, of course he would be that type of man who would love to do that. How was Mike? He's... Did he come up because to what? Uh, because when he was on the pod, he was very, very open and vocal. And he's, he's like you said, we have mentioned it because he's very, very vocal on social media. He loves yep. making some comments on social media. Was he, <laughs> was he caught quite? And that's great. At the end of the day, you are who you are, like it or lump it. Right. Everybody's different. Yeah. Well, the the amount of uh, material that I got from Mike, um, I could only use about 5% of it because, yeah. <laughs> Libelous. <laughs> well, no, because it was true. <laughs> so he'd just never even be invited to another club dinner in the <laughs> but, wow well, yeah yeah what, what yeah 
just brilliant. The, the, you know, living so close to Caesar's Palace, which was just up the road, Andrew, from um, from Pointers Road, Point as Mark road. would know. It was the it was the local it was the Luton night spot, and and through the when Mike Mike came in '79, he he came with uh, signed Paddy Grealish as well, um, <clears throat> and Caesar's Palace was in its full heyday. Um, yeah, with, yeah. With, we, we, my and, par- my parents went there many many a night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, it was, it was um, yeah, it's very nice and a bit too close for for Mike to uh, to turn down, but um, yeah, yeah. So there was, as I say, Mike Mike was really open, so um, brilliant. And I've, I've actually I've still got his coat in the back of my car at the moment. True story. <laughs> I've been trying to get it back to him when they came down with Godfrey Godfrey Ingram and Steve White a few weeks ago, um, and it was a bit chilly, so we had about sixteen coats, uh, and for some, I, I dropped him back. Uh, in Caddington where he'd parked up afterwards and uh, still still left his coat in the back. But uh, yeah, so if anyone, you know, I might start to put it on eBay. <laughs> you know, I'll, 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 I'll shake I'll shake the cat off it because it's been it's made a great cat bed. But um, but yeah, no, all joking aside. No, but excellent. No, no, really, really good guy. Really, really open. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and a career that was, you know, probably and should have been um, heading towards England recognised that he was that good yeah. in both boxes. He was one of those guys that was just fantastic, you know, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Real, real, real shame. We are going to pause there. And when we come back from short break, we will hear the um, or the three and three or the, the the two and the three and a half or whichever how we were going to do this um the rest of um Phil's my best 11 welcome back to the second part of Phil the Kitman Duffy's my best 11 Phil is here to talk about um obviously players that he's interviewed and memories and things like that from his book uh, they played for David Pleat, um, but we are going to jump straight into um, his 60 seconds, which Marvin has got. Over to you, Marvin. Okay, Phil. First thing that comes into your mind. Best ground you visited? Anfield. Bundesliga, La Liga or Syria for quality? Bundesliga. Golden goal or penalty shootout? Silver. Can I have silver? I like the silver goal. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, so if you got a silver goal, if you scored in the first half of half time, oh, it would go yeah. to the it would go to the end of the first half, and if, and then it would become a golden goal. Oh. Which I, I quite like the concept of that. I don't remember that. Um, favorite other sport? Um, uh, tennis. Messi or Ronaldo? Neither. Um, Attitude one. Michael Laudrup. Um, fish and chips, pie and chips, pasta or pasta? I, I would say pasta. Beer, wine or spirit? Jack Daniels. Pele or Maradona? Oh, Pele. Which is your next favourite team? Wolverhampton Wanderers. Last one, which is your Which is your least favourite team? <clears throat> Apart from them, who's your least favourite team, Phil? Probably the other lot up the road, the other way. Oh, Franchise, franchise FC. That's the yellow team. We can't even say it. The yellow team. It's, it's, it's you know, joking aside, it, it's um, so many people um, forget that people that loved the club boycotted home games in 1983 my wife included Pam Gray people like that that you know Mark um loved the club but they were so found the whole thing so abhorrent um that they actually boycotted home games and it absolutely they still went to the away games but they they in in 80, 83 84 they were boycotting games to make to you know to make their point 
and they didn't want to stay away from the games that you know the club had been away from the first division for seven years and before that they'd only been there for one year and straight back down in the mid 70s so to boycott those games was was you know was was, was really something that was hard for a lot of people mm. so you know the the no to Milton Keynes is is a real thing you know people say oh you should get over it and, and let it let it go but it's quite you know it's it's very raw for Luton fans of a you know for, of a generation and beyond that well, it wasn't even just coaches then. I, I I didn't go through that one, but I remember even when Cola was trying to trying to push the club up there. What was it like was, as a player? I know maybe the first one, but definitely the second one, Marv. Did you get much wind of that? Was it ever a thought or with the greatest respect at that stage? Was it, I'm a player, this is a job? And I mean that in a respectful way. Do you know what I mean? Some no, no, see that. You're, you're right. I think at the time you don't look at it as if it's... A- a big, massive, major thing because you're looking at it from a playing point of view. You you just want to play, and if it's a case that you are gonna have to move like grounds or move areas where you're gonna be playing, it wasn't a big, big thing. I think in the player's mind that is gonna be a major problem. I mean, for the fans, yes, obviously, but I mean, we 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 wanted to play, and, and you're your player, and it wasn't a big, big, major thing. I'd like to say in, in, in our minds. Most of you boys lived in Milton. <laughs> we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. True. Um, awesome. So why Wolves? What's what's with Wolves? That's a very it's a very out a kind of curveball second team. Most Luton fans yeah, would yeah. say kind of like the Arsenal or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, London. They yeah, go for yeah. the London. Why Wolves? Yeah. So the um it's it's a very t- uh, sort of nostalgic thing, but it, they were um, they just leapt out of this of the Panini sticker books and the the the, the chewing gum cards, you know. And you, they had such brilliant looking players like George Berry and Bob Hazel and John Richards. Before that, Derek Dugan. They just seemed like a really fabulous side. And as a kid of the seventies, I was always I was always hungry for more information. So I'd read books from the fifties and the sixties and all the old annuals. Would you know? Would would pick up it? You know, any jumble sale would come out with a whole wedge of you know old football books, and I'd just read about the great wolf sides from the from the 40s and the 50s and they just seemed such a fabulous fabulous glamorous side you know with the with the floodlit friendlies with the with the european nights so uh yeah i actually i lived up there and and uh worked up there for a little while as well in the 90s so uh yeah was, yeah love yeah 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 so that's that's the only thing i can really come from is the <laughs> is the just the just how they looked in the in those beloved panini sticker books oh, it's the same as people who go for their third team because they like the shirt when they're growing up. It's all sorts yeah. of kind of those reasons, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, ama- amazingly, the book going back to the book is that the, a lot of people that have got in touch with me about it and, and the publishers are saying that these books are flying out everywhere. They're going all over the country, all around Europe. And, and people that have come back to me have said that they, that, that David Pleat side um, from like 1980 through to about 84, 85 became their second team because one of them was the kits. They were so iconic. And, and the main reason was because they were just so attractive to watch and they were televised quite a lot then you know the three all draw at Liverpool um you know four all draw at Stoke um beating Brighton flight and this was all the first month of the of the first season up in 82-83 they drew two all at Tottenham lost 4-1 at Villa but then beat uh, Notts County 5-3 Brighton 5-0 three all at Liverpool, uh, four all at Stoke, and then held Man United, you know, a really decent Man United side, one all, and, and that was just all in the first six weeks of the season. And they just hit the first division like an absolute grenade. Um, and people followed them ever since then. They became their second team because of how they played and and, and how they looked. No, I, I agree. I agree. 
we're going to get back to your 11. So mm. where we'll go back to your midfield. Oh, we're on midfield. Yes. How to give us a slight idea. How yeah. are you, how are you structuring this? Are you having a holder or is it just, or are you going to go, like you said, David Pleat and go for five goals? Just have all Definitely. attacking I'm players. Def- oh, mate, these are, these are attacking players. These are absolutely, uh, apart from this guy. <laughs> who actually when he, he when he signs the book he actually signs it one nil and then he signs his name so there's a little clue who it is so you're you ready are you ready yep so andrew this is all on you okay so this is called debut debut in the reserves against chelsea <clears throat> i'm going to date it as well 1976 so playing playing in the reserves i made my debut in the, in the reserves uh i was 15 i was still at school at chorney boys um so i was actually allowed out of school early to play on a tuesday or a wednesday playing for us was dixie dean former celtic and scottish international who was capped twice only a few years earlier in 1974 but on this day he was playing in luton's reserves with me uh with me dixie came into the dressing room and this is the God's honest truth. He walked straight past the boss, who was the reserve team boss, who was David Pleat, and who was taking the team talk. And he was, um, he was coaching at the time. And while David was talking, I was sat next to Dixie Deans, who started smoking a cigarette, was swigging from a little drop of whiskey, and he was, he was looking through a, nudie, a nude calendar, which he claimed to have found in the dressing room. There was me, a nervous wreck, 15 years old, doing stretches, and I turned to see Dixie as calm as you like. I think he went out and got both goals in a two-all draw. That day made a real impression on me, coming up against the likes of the lineup of of that Chelsea side, um, playing on that brilliant surface, and Dixie Deans having a pre-match smoke, drop of whiskey, and a thumb through a nude calendar, while the boss, David Pleat, either not noticing or deciding to turn a blind eye. Is this a defensive player, you're saying, yes? Yeah, could he, he, yeah, he more he quite often played at left back, um, but he he was a he was a central defensive midfielder, um, and finally um, in his last year or two at the club, he was played in that position. But he was a bit of a utility player. I'm gonna go but, Lil. No, little bit, little bit oh. younger than, little bit younger than Lil. He signs it one nil because the natural thing to go was one nil about the main road game. Yeah, he did play in the main road game, but um, actually. Oh, here's a, here's a nice clue for you. He claims that uh, he claims that he takes he takes credit for uh, yeah. for for Raddy's goal because he gave way to let he was substituted. He was substituted by David to let Raddy come on. So uh, so this player actually takes the claim. If you think <coughs> so, about it, Andrew, you're doing right, Alan West. No, no, listen. Who would mention Dixie <laughs> Dixie Dean? Who would talk about the great Dixie Dean? Which player? Would love to be associated with Dixie Dean. Always talking. We mentioned oh, him way? earlier. There we go. Yeah. So, so do you do you know where where the one nil where when he signs his autograph where the one nil comes from? It's not the main road game. I assume it was the main road game. No, no. is it against the yellow team? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Third, yeah. second replay FA Cup. Um, yeah, that was it. I thought when you first on said his, his name, on you his said one nil, and Marv said the same thing. You thought. Brian Horton, didn't you, Marvin? Still again? You thought you were going to say Brian Horton. When he said 1-0. Yeah, yes. That, when you the... smiled. I was like, it's, it's going to be Brian Horton. And then you <laughs> and, went. <laughs> and then he went, but when he said about the, um, I knew when he said about the, the school Luton, then I realised it was Wayne. Yeah, Wayne Turner. Oh, good. Brilliant. Excellent. Fantastic. Excellent. So Wayne is in there as the holder, which means it's just going to be gung-ho from now on in, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unbelievably so. So you're going to have to really think about this one. Who's gone then? Who's next? Are we ready? Yeah. Okay, so this this guy's a really attacking player. 
and you might you might think of him as a forward, but but he was put out, and as you you'll hear in here, he was used as a uh, as a as a as a right winger. Marvin Johnson. No, he thought he was an attacking player. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Uh, Sorry, Phil. I have to say your 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 runs were just fantastic to watch, mate. When you just you know you just go for it, and and the whole and literally. That's what Luton was about. That the whole crowd just that excitement. You weren't you weren't cha- you weren't chipping Alec Chamberlain in your own goal. So that was a good thing that you were heading in the <laughs> other direction. And there's only but, one uh, Marv as well. Despite Marvelous being that good for Luton, there's only one Marv in my opinion. Oh yeah, that doesn't sit well with me. That do, the, I've the seen it on social Marv, media. It doesn't the new fit Marvelous well with me doesn't sit well with me at all. <laughs> Sorry, here we okay. go again. All right, then, guys. I remember my first away game when I was in the starting lineup. It was in February 1984 at the Dell against Southampton. That was a taster for me, showing me my future in professional football. They had Mark Dennis playing for them on the left-hand side. The home crowd was so close to me and they were giving me an ear bash. Our coaching staff had said, stay on the right flank and don't let Mark Dennis get forward. Put pressure on him to halt his forward runs upfield. So I ended up chasing him all day. But I was not used to being asked to play in that sort of role. Instead of me going forward and pushing him back, I found myself chasing back after him. And that was a nightmare, or rather a daymare. And he laughed. We lost the game 2-1. The next few games we played Southampton, we had the upper hand though. We bashed them 7-0 at Luton. And we seemed to always play them at the Southampton on an evening match. Which, would usually, which we would usually do well in those games too. So I never let Mark Dennis um, run me ragged again after the first time. I'd promised myself, never again, Mark Dennis. You're not going to get away with that me. With You're not going to get away with that again this time. And he laughed. He laughs a lot, this man. He laughs a lot. That's a good. That's a good clue. 1984. It was his first away game, so it was it was really his first introduction into professional football, as he'd come from come from oh, non-league. And you guys have is, had him on. You guys have yes, had him on. I think is he an international? Oh, he played. Was yeah. he played for his country? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very proud of the fact he actually turned down the chance to play for Wales, even though he was even less Welsh, Welsh than Paul Price was. Right. Um, he, he, and because, you got he, it? because he'd studied in Wales and lived there for five years. David Pleat said Wales have come to yeah. us and they said that you can play. But he was like, no, I have to play for the, the country of my birth and my father's. And he was very, very proud of that. England international? No. No. Nope. OK, I'll put Mary's misery again. He met no, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Oh, oh, you're giving him it. No, nah, it's all right. You're giving it. Come on, man. Mecca. <laughs> the Mark Nigeri. Yeah. What a fantastic guy. And a fantastic yeah. player. Yeah. On his day. So- Game turner. And a lovely guy and a chemist. Yeah, pharmacist still uh, working uh, in Bedfordshire. Lives in yes. lives in North London, but um, working as a pharmacist in Bedfordshire. Yes. So Mecca's a really interesting call to play, to play in that in that team great player mm. from what I've I've never seen him play because my age but um doesn't get in as many teams um yeah. doesn't get in as many teams um for Luton do you think he's a bit underappreciated um he didn't do it enough yep um he didn't do it enough and he feels um and it, it seemed like at the time that when he was allowed, and I think David Pleat would try and give him as much freedom as, as he could, but I think Trevor Hartley was very much reining him in, and he, and he does talk about it because um, he's in he's in volume two. Um, he does talk about that in quite detail, how he felt quite restrained, and and how he feels that look, this is 
this your trying you you came and saw me playing non-league and you loved the free spirit and what i could do and the tricks and, and and how and then you get me into professional football and you try and change me but you then you complain why am i still not the same player so excuse me that was quite an interesting that he got he got quite in you know in, in depth into that that thought process but when you know when on his day an absolute explosion you know i mean and we spoke about the 84 cup semi-final and everyone always kind of pulls mecca's legs and i know brian steen hammers him still to this day about the chances that he missed in the first half where he was just took that too much time you know he had an open goal he was round past neville southall to put us one up before ricky actually did put us one up but it took a little bit more t- too much time and, and gary stevens if you ever see a picture of it it's, it's the most acrobatic off the line clearance you'll ever see but um you know He's the sort of player that had we got to the final and we were three or four minutes away from getting there, man, I think he would he would have just, that would have been his stage. You know, 80,000, 90,000 people against Man United in the FA Cup final. He would have just been, he, he would have just, you know, had he just been, had he been allowed to, he would have just been like a Tasmanian devil. I mean, Marv, you got to see him up close. Um, and some of the other lads like John Kennedy um, and Lee Payne were all saying that on his day, he would be unbelievable, but then on other days he would be the most frustrating player because it just it wasn't a big enough stage for him in 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 training or in a reserve game, and he just he wasn't that ball of energy that you knew he could be, you know. So there's that. It's, but I, I'm I'm putting him in there because I, I like I like his story and and where that leads. Um, but I also loved watching him play. I mean, I was I was there for the whole time when he first came in. I was we were just like. Um, he, he he played about a month earlier than that. He played against Nottingham Forest against Brian Clough and he scored one and set one up for Paul Walsh. And we were like, where has this guy come from? Because we'd, we'd seen the pictures in the in the local paper in the week leading up. And it was like David Pleat shaking hands with the, this guy's a chemist and he'd got this plaid check suit on. I mean, you, you must know about his, his dress sense, Marv. Yeah. Um, but then he just exploded and, and the guy had the biggest, even bigger legs than, than Kirk Stevens. You were like, where has this guy come from? And it's like, he's come from Dulwich Hamlet. And you, you got to remember that that's, he came from that level in the Ismian League to and to now would be the Premier League. You know, it's like I, I keep saying to like lads like Marvin and Ian Scott and Richard Harvey and John Kennedy that you guys and Aaron Ty, you guys were, were, were coming through and trying to get into the Luton first team who were at the Premier League level, you know, the first division level. You know, that that's that's how good you had to be. Yeah. No, I've always thought that that there's always this spew, there's always this skew of or misunderstanding. You're getting through the Luton U team. That's why, yeah, like you said, people like Marv, etc. And any of those coming through the U yeah. team, they were coming into a Premier League team. That that's yeah. the size well, of the club. That's the size Ian's, and that's the quality of the players. Ian Scott, I saw him play a lot in non-league football after he left Luton. But as Marv will say, Ian Scott, the best player that never played for the first team that Luton because he was he was yeah he was behind Preci and Nico and Ricky Hill. Um, and then Danny Wilson, and uh, what an absolutely amazing player Ian Scott was. Um, and, yeah, you know, Phil, I just sorry to interrupt you there, but like Scotty was, he'd been there similar to Dickie Harvey there as a kid, yeah, like maybe six, seven, eight. I'm not sure how young he was, but he, he was probably what you would have thought would nailed on to get a pro because he was like so like comfortable playing in any position, could play centre-back, play centre midfield. And it was a case where when I first joined, I mean, he took me on the his wing a little bit because he lived locally, just yeah. comfortable um, with his parents. And he, he used thought naturally he would be definitely getting a pro, but it was, like you said, he had so many players in, ahead of him 
and it's, it's quickly like sometimes where you find that luck's just not on your side sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I I found it disappointing because he he dropped so quickly. You know, didn't go to a to a, 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 a you know a, another first division club or to a you know a, a, a tier two or tier three. I'm trying to think what it was then. It would have been Division Two, Division Three, wouldn't it? Yeah. It, it would have been yeah. pre Premier League. Yeah, the, the world did exist before the Premier League, kids. But <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, Scotty was just incredible. But he he dropped straight, and and I think he had a, a season or so at. Where did he go? Aylesbury United, then St Albans, and then then, like he settled, then he settled at Hitchin, didn't he? With yeah. um, with with Berkey over at Hitchin. That's right. Excellent. So we've got Mecca, Wayne Turner. Who else is in mm. our midfield? Oh, shall we? Shall we? Yeah, I think we should. Okay, so this is titled First Day as an Apprentice at the Club, 1973. So I know I said 75 to 95. But he was an apprentice then, and he was in the first division, first team, 75, 76. So I'm going to allow this one, if that's all right with you, Andrew. Of course. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'll let Andrew guess this one. All right. So it was my very first job on my on the my very first day at the club. I had these old boots with holes in, which I brought them along uh, along with me from home. I arrived at the ground and sat in reception, smiling away to myself, so excited. Thought of going to going training in a minute. My first day as a full time footballer. How naive I was. Enter Roy McCrowan. So Roy was the first team assistant manager and coach, and he straight away said, "You won't need those boots. Put them away." All I could muster in reply was, oh, okay. Roy continued, no, you're not training today. Don't worry. Just come with me. So Roy and I began walking alongside the pitch from the players' tunnel and up towards the corner flag at the opposite end of the ground, where the groundsman Dick Wassell was walking from behind the, the goal to meet us. Dick had his shed up in that corner of the ground with all his tools and everything stored away. We met up with him at the corner of Maple Road enclosure in the Kenilworth Road open terrace. And it was it was back then... Um, as it was back then, and Dick already had some equipment in his hands. Just grab all of these, he said, and didn't even think to question. It was my first ever day at the club, so I just went along with it. Roy McCrowan said, I'm just popping into the offices. Now, these offices were at the top of Kenilworth Road behind the terrace stand, and I followed him, and then we stopped outside them before, and then he turned to me and said, right, you've got, you've got your brush, and you've got your shoes, and you've got a bag. You see the offices here? You see that hedge? I want it cut. So Roy then proceeded to give me the exact dimensions that he wanted the, the hedge cut. And I want everything cleaned up and put away. And I don't want to see any twigs or leaves on the floor. It was definitely one of those tests of character moments. A case of let's see what the, what the youngster is all about and see how he will react to this given task on his first day. And his last thing we said was, was when he saw this player's chin hit the floor, he smiled and he said, you haven't made it yet. And I haven't got a clue, by the way. <laughs> so this was a, a local player from Bedford. Bedford area um, showed really great promise. And, and I think that Roy had already earmarked that he just maybe needed just bringing down a peg or two on his first day just to just, you know, but. Um, so how old was he in 73? So he was 17. He was, uh, it was or oh, 16. He was just out of school. Mine. I was going to go Ricky. Yeah. 75. Yeah. Just, a, just a couple of years on the intake ahead of Ricky, but uh, became a regular uh, played in the first division, made a few appearances off the bench. Um, and then he became a regular from about 76 through to December 78 when he had a bad leg break. Oh. Where else did he play? Did he, did, did, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, did he, did, he, did he manage as well? Did he manage? He did. He managed Luton briefly. Going back through my brain for the 90s. Is he Scottish? No. So it was manager of Luton in the 90s? Uh, no, I think 2000. I think he was manager in, in 2000 briefly, just after Ricky. Yes, I know it was. Yeah. Just after Ricks. You've, you've said him, Andrew, already. Yeah, Lil. Lil Pachillo. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
anyone that saw Lil play in those those couple of years before, uh, just an incredible player. I mean, there was there was talk when <clears throat> when Andy King went to Everton when the club were in, literally were going to have the doors shut. So Everton basically said to Luton, "Well, how much do you need to stop the receivers? You know, with with the banks and they they." Andy King was you. You remember Andy, don't you, Marv? Okay, Late, yes. a little bit later on. But what what a player! He's local boy, and he was absolutely on fire coming through with players like Lil um, and and with Westy, you know, uh, guiding those two youngsters through. Um, and there was talks that that Liverpool were, uh, sorry, Everton were going to uh, look look to take Lil as well at the time when they took Andy King to Everton. But um, yeah, if you saw, I mean, <sighs> Lil was really unfortunate again. The, the double leg break. Um, the awful leg break that he had at, in de- December 78 at Brighton. And then uh, a couple of years later, it just went on him in a reserve game down at Luton. Just just felt, felt it pop. Um, and, you know, he still he still played a, a, quite a big part in, in the side that got promoted. A little bit more of a bit part player in the first division. But could, you know, people like Brian Horton and Ricky Hill all, all you know, tip their tip for towards him. But what a player he still was, and you know his passing ability. But he was he was a real bustling midfielder, you know, bombing on and goal scoring. You know, real good attacking midfielder. Um, before before the leg breaks, I remember seeing him as a really young kid and just thinking that this guy's just amazing. But one of those things that they, the injuries happen, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they can they can hurt somebody. Yeah. So we've got our three ish midfielders. Are we going to go for the half now? <laughs> yeah, you can have a half. For, I'll guess the first name. I might have more luck. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, where are you yeah, playing? So... On the right or left or the middle? Oh, uh, mate, this this guy could play anywhere. Righty ho. This guy could play anywhere, literally. So this is subtitled Players Being Sick and Les Seely. So I've known players get themselves psyched up in the dressing room, shouting and bawling to get themselves going to compensate for their nerves. I remember in the early days at Swindon, I would see some of the older players being physically sick before a game. And I'd be sitting there all naive thinking, what the hell's going on? But it was because they'd been building themselves up with this nervous tension. And Les Seely would always be really hyped up in the Luton dressing room. He was a great guy, but he was bordering on insane. I chipped him once in training when he'd not been long, not been at the club for very long. <clears throat> so that would have been about mid-1983. He got the ball out of the net and booted it about three fields away. Then he shouted at me, would you fucking well do that in a game? And I replied, of course I would, Les, or at least I would try. He just didn't like being beaten full stop. Even in training, he actually refused to go in goal for penalties. If I wanted to practice taking them, so he was a regular penalty taker, I had to do it with Alan Judge or one of the other young goalkeepers. We got this one definitely now. Mossy. Mossy. Yeah. Mossy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolute legend. It's, um, he came to Luton at, at 26. Um, you know, and what, what a player. What an absolute player! Yes, very much so, and and penalties, like you said, missing. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, well, that that was there was the clues there with the Swindon and the penalty thing. Yeah, good clues. Brilliant. I think yeah, you, had, so you, had the, you added the penalty extract in as well for me. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> like, You'd have got it. Um, You'd have got it. You've spoken about lots and lots of players, and then Marvin and I were talking um, a few weeks ago and a few days ago as well about some of the photos in there. I mean, back then there were no phone cameras you know what I mean mm. it, was, it was so it wasn't a case of snap 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 like nowadays you look on your phone you got 3,000 pictures yeah I mean to get hold of some of those pictures um you don't have to give us your trade secrets but <laughs> how, how are they hard to come across are they hard to find or to, is it literally the players or fans or a mixture um well from the from the off 
Roger Walsh, who's the Luton Town historian um, and is heavily involved with Hatter's Heritage, the the charity that was set up to to uh, ensure the you know all the all the historical artifacts and the, uh, everything from uh, at Luton Town is 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 stored and and kept looked after and and they purchase things as well when they come to market. Um, I've recently actually held the 1959 FA Cup final kit shirt and the shorts, and I couldn't believe the weight, the shorts. They were so heavy. I was like, oh my God, if I gave this to one of my players, these shorts, they're, they're throwing back at me. Hey, what the bloody hell is this kit, man? What's, what's going on? You know, these 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 these, these kits were, were incredible, you know, so... Um, but uh, Roger was absolutely brilliant from the off. I, I, I sent him some bits and the proof for proofreading. And that was a, an acid test moment because I was thinking, well, am I just kidding myself here? If, if Roger comes back and says, well, good try, but, you know, it's, and, but he came back and he was like, whatever you do, don't let anybody cut this. You, I don't know how you've got the guys to open up so well. And you've obviously made them feel really comfortable talking about, you know, they, they've told you things I never even knew about. You know, so so Roger was brilliant with the with the um, the pictorial and 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 also the you know the the encouragement and also his knowledge. So he would proofread everything for you know the 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 factual correctness, which was absolutely invaluable. But he opened up the whole archive from Hazard's Heritage, which is growing every week. Because I don't, I don't know if this is well known, but there's a group of the guys, and I've been along to one of the Friday sessions, not one of those Friday sessions, Marv, um, <laughs> but the one of the Friday sessions where they're literally going through. They they saved one and a half million photographic paint from being thrown in the skip when the Luton News um, shut down. So they're still they're going through those every week. So they're they're discovering more photos all the time, <clears throat> and and they're, they're just superb. So we we we've, we've supported Hatter's Heritage. We we partnered them very much with the book. Um, so along with Keach Hospice and the Isle Steen Foundation, um, Hatter's Heritage are one of the beneficiaries of any any uh, you know a percentage of any profits from the book. Um, but they've just been absolutely fantastic. But but also players have come out with every player that I spoke to. I remember Marvin sent me his first contract, which uh, which was brilliant. Um, and I was, every player I spoke to said one of the last questions I finished with was, did you ever get to keep any kit? any shirts which was back in those days just didn't happen apart if you were kirk stevens you did because you were son of david pleat apparently but um um or liz seeley selling them out the back of the well well (laughs) (laughs) but um but one of the other questions was have you got any any privately taken photographs um any unpublished or anything like that and most of the guys are like i might have one or two so you get a few but then you'll get um you'll get one or you know one will just come and, and they'll just bombard you with them and this was the guy that had a camera you know back in the day and it's just like oh my god well, these are absolute gems um i mean there's one it's in the book um it was a guy that came over from northern ireland in 78 just before um he played in the under 21s with mal donaghy um a, a, a lad called terry hayes who was given a three-year contract by david pleat but he got homesick, terribly homesick, and he went back after a year. Um, he sent me a photograph of himself, and bearing in mind he was only 18 at the time, but he was the oldest-looking 18-year-old I've ever seen. He looked like my Uncle Mick <laughs> when he was 45. <laughs> Bless him. Um, but there was so there was Terry, Phil Borsma, Godfrey Ingram, and Ricky Hill, all in this, all, all like a, um, a, out of the set of Saturday Night Fever. Uh, it was absolutely, they were just all like you know, the little got a little baby sham going on. And that the shirt was open. It was just Mr. Saturday night all over. And it was just this one picture of this, this fairly innocuous guy that I'd, I'd got, got hold of. 
um, just because I remembered him playing in the reserves because I used to, my mates used to go, oh, look, they go, he looks like Duffy's dad. Duffy's dad's playing out there. <laughs> and it's like, really? Okay. But that's how I remembered him. And then I, uh, it turns out he still worked uh, at Linfield. He went back to Linfield and he's still involved in football, became a physiotherapist. So I got hold of his number through through Mal and, and, and Seamus Heath. Um, and he was a re- really, really lovely guy and really open, very honest. And I think this, this was a lot of the things that the guys were talking about what they were going through, you know, mental health issues that, that, that they'd come over. They weren't getting in the first team and they were lonely in, in digs and they didn't have a mobile phone where they could call a girlfriend. You know, they have to go and queue for a, for a telephone box that stank of piss or whatever. You know, the, you know, the, the telephone is marble. Remember, the, the telephone boxes in the 70s and the 80s were, were they were just used as toilets. And they weren't very pleasant. You know, so you'd, you'd go and try and try and use one of them. Or you'd be queuing for one of them and, you know, you'd be calling back home. And, and for some of these guys, it was just it was just too much. I think Terry was saying, had he been like Mao and gone straight into the first he probably would have dealt with it better but you know there was there was other issues and terry certainly wasn't alone in that but um yeah just really honored that the guys opened up as as much as they did i'm not talking um, and open up their photo album <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah excellent well we're going to move on to the final two positions mm. in your best 11 yeah three isn't it no, we've got two, two, no, we've got no, two, two left. Two left. We've got Wayne two Turner, left. Mecca, Lil, and Mossy. In oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Because we've done yeah. we've done the four, three and a half. Yeah, yep. half, the half, the half, all me. Yep. And uh, so who's the final striker? Okay, so this one is subtitled Brian Horton's Apprentice and his missing boot. Now, in the lead up to the game at, at Portman Road, I was still looking after Brian Horton's kit. I'd clean the boots and put them on the pegs. And then it was down to someone else to load them on all the boots into the crates and onto the coach trip down to Suffolk. I came in on the Monday after the game and I was getting that stare from Brian Horton. All of a sudden he snapped and he swore at me. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? It turns out that he's on the warpath with me as his boots weren't put into the trip for Ipswich Town away at the weekend. Nobby was raging. No boots. Where were they? So I'm hopping from foot to foot. And with my mind racing, trying to think what on earth happened here, happened here to Brian's boots. And I went through the process. I said, we cleaned them. We put them on the pegs. They should have been, you know, collected and placed on the, on the coat. I don't know what went wrong. Brian was still raging with his eyes popping. I had to wear Radiantish's spare boots. And we never did get to the bottom of it, but I made damn sure that it never happened again. And do you know what the mad thing is about all this? Last year, when we all met up again, the first thing Brian Horton says to me, do you remember when you didn't put my boots into the into the crate for the Ipswich away game? We're talking the best part of 40 years later, and Brian is now in his early 70s, but he's still... It's the first thing on his mind and his way of setting a fire under me, even to this day. But those were the standards that we set. Needless to say, it didn't help that we lost heavily down at it. Bit, bit, um, any ideas who was looking after Brian's kit at the time? I'm going to guess. England ended up playing for England. Oh, should have done. His oh. brother did. Oh, okay. Oh. Got it? Steeny. Which one? Mark. Ed, Ed, Mark. Edwin. Oh, Brian. Yeah, Mark. Mark. Oh, absolutely. I'm not going to say who I was Steenie. thinking of, because in case it's the other one. Because he's got a side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, little Steeny. So again, um, so you recent... picked Mark in the team. Yeah, pu- pu- purely on purely on his on his on the 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 story uh, and the and the stories that he's given is is it's it was such a fun Zoom call, just absolutely just laugh for two hours. Um, and we, and as as um, I didn't let him know, but I'd. I'd set him up, and I invited Lee Payne to join the uh, to join the the, um, the the Zoom call after an hour, 
And of course, Payne is turned up and he's got all in his background. He's got all his palm trees from his from his house in Brazil. And little <coughs> Steen is going, little Steen is going, fuck me, Payne. What, what are you doing to be living out there? What the fuck? You know, what's going on? <laughs> and I kept saying to Steen, I said, it's not real. He said he's, he's in a flat in Hackney. I said, that's that's a green screen. It will, it will slip. It Don't worry. But um, no, no, little Steen was 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 great. And again, he's he's come up and uh, did uh, did a book signing with his brother Brian um, in January, and um, it was fantastic. We set a table up for them to sit down, and the whole they were there for five hours, and they never sat down once um, because people were just loving, just engaging. It was in the um, the brick the bricklayers in in Hightown. Very, very big, big support in Luton Town Pub and the landlady, Alison's been great selling the book. Um, so um, we did a book signing there and Mark and Brian were, you know, they, they were just so engaging and everyone, they came over to buy the book and then borrow a Sharpie. I say borrow, no, none of them ever came back, but they went off and they got their 10 minutes with Mark and Brian, brought them a drink um and they they got their, their their 10 minutes just chatting away and it was just, it was just lovely to see. It was lovely to watch. And I, I sat there with Mark later on um, when it had died down a little bit. And I was saying this, I've, I've really enjoyed watching you guys. You know, this is what sport can do, what football can do. It's like this, this room full of people that don't know each other from Adam. They're not related to each other. It's just this collective memory and this football club. But these collective memories that they've got of, of, of how they still, you know, revere 30 years, 40 years on <clears throat> of having watching you guys and enjoying watching you guys play and then getting... They, they won't remember this game that they go to later on. It was Wigan in the FA Cup. It was the bizarre half past five kickoff. I said, but they'll remember this this couple of hours in here, you know, talking to you and Brian and 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 getting their book signed and having a photograph. And that's 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 the power of power of sport and the power of football to no, bring people works. together. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Those moments of especially when you go watch a lot of live games, they don't mer- mm. it sounds really cold. You kind of merge into one. But no, I totally see what you mean. So you got Steeny, and who is next to Mark? Okay. Yes. All right. So this one is head headlined 2 a.m. lawnmower with Mark Dennis. There's a little clue. The one night when I was at Birmingham, I was out with Mark Dennis and our ladies at the time for a meal and a few drinks. When we got back to my house in Birmingham, I decided it would be a good idea to demonstrate the workings of my brand new lawnmower that I was particularly proud of. I proceeded to cut uh, my front lawn at two o'clock in the morning, no doubt endearing myself to the neighbours, but nobody actually directly complained to me about it. But I know that uh, when a potential Birmingham City player came into the club, was looking for a house in the same road a little while later, he asked the guy, what were the neighbours like? And the guy selling his house replied, oh, everyone around here is really nice, but watch out for the nutcase over at number 14. He's often out cutting his bloody grass at two o'clock in the morning. Andrew? I'm assuming it's Big Mick. Yeah, it has to be, doesn't it? Has to be. Yeah. Has, has to, to be. be. I mean, the stories. Uh, he's been on here. Some of the, um, some of the stories. I mean, uh, first of all, amazing player. But some of the stories he he came out with on here were amazing. Um, I'm sure that incredibly funny. He um, he's just been on some other podcasts recently. You know, he's under the cosh, whatever it's called. Yeah, um, that type of thing. So he's always uh, and he's the type of guy that because of the personality he is, either he's he's kind of like a, on the way to being a Gaza kind of that. He has stories because he brings people in. He's I don't, that's just impression I get. Uh, you two yeah. obviously met him, Marv. You played with him as well. Is that what he comes across as, Marv? Is he one of those type of people that people just come to him and they yeah. just? <laughs> I think. I mean, a lot of 
people know him as being tough Mick, hard man, which he was in the day and, and, and he still is now. But when you speak to him and you sit down and you have a chat with him, he's, he's a very, very intelligent guy, very smart, mature, very quietly spoken and softly spoken. He's not sort of like the same sort of guy you'd, you'd imagine who'd be wanting to defend teammates or defend... Stand on top of a load of Watford fans. Yeah. Lot, yeah. lot for players, yeah. sorry, players. <laughs> yeah. So no, Mick, Mick, yeah, Mick is Mick, he's up there. I mean, definitely yeah. one of the the best I've played with. And he's he's got such a dry sense of humour as well. Yeah. You know, he he'll you you'll be in a group and he'll and you'll say something and then he'll just there'll just be that little moment and then they'll just go, oh, I get it, I get it. But it's like what you're saying about the other side of him. Um, I was doing a book signing with Mick a few Thursdays ago. It was just me and Mick. Um, and we had a quiet moment and there was a girl at the bar with her, with her boyfriend and he was going, me, and they was just setting up a karaoke um, to, to go on. The, they were following us. Um, and uh, the guy was like, it's her birthday today. Will you sing her happy birthday, Mick? And he did. He went up, he went over to the bar and he sang happy birthday to her one to one. And she was like this, you know, just. Oh did she know God, who he was? Yeah, absolutely. All oh, right. I wasn't sure if he was, was like a drunken boy. No, no, he was... absolutely made a day, but it was oh, the okay. most embarrassing moment of her life. Here was Mick Harford singing, literally. And he was going for it properly. He wasn't, you know, no, no, no shrinking wallflower. He was going for it. You're talking he, about she, what sportsmen can do earlier yeah, about, she, bro, about Mark Steen in 10 minutes. There's... Absolutely that. Absolutely that. That was just a, a Thursday night, you know, and then, okay, it was her birthday. So it was special for her, yeah. but it was a Thursday night a non otherwise nondescript night. And, and then all of a sudden she's got Mick Harford booming out happy birthday to her. Every, every line, every word, um, you know, sung at, at full volume, but yeah. um, just fantastic. Just, just, just brilliant. And, you know, you still, you've got little kids coming up to him uh, with their shirts, you know, they're, they're, they're seven, eight, nine years old and they're still going, oh, Mick, would you sign my shirt for me? And that, that's brilliant. I think that's what's come across as well with the book is um, you see the a, a new generation of Luton fans that are coming to the book signings and they're enjoying discovering this bit of history. And I think this was a big thing when I spoke with my wife at the start of the, of the project and it was like, well, Roger's done a great job with you know the historical book with the statistic side of it and he's and he's written a few books but we've not got anything from the players really from how the players felt in in that time and then obviously you know a few autobiographies have come out ricky's ricky's put his book out brian came out because when i first spoke to ricky i I spoke to him about the book and he's like don't tell anyone but i'm on an interview embargo at the moment because i'm gonna have a book coming soon so i got a little bit of inside that that, because that that, you know that when that came out so i think what was the other book that came out oh john sheridan the limping physio i don't know if you guys have seen that so it's it's been brilliant because it's it's a real as as we were gathering, you know, some traction by putting bits and pieces out on social media over the last couple of years of, you know, we, we, we're looking to put this book out and, I, and I'd put a little bit about who we were speaking to and who we spoke to, you know, and asking people, you know, what sort of question you want to, would you like me to ask and things like that. Just trying to grow, just get some awareness rather than just delivering a book and then no one's ever heard of, you know, so we were, we were garnering that bit of interest and and it worked. It worked well because when we went to the the publisher who did put it out, because we went to some of the big publishers early doors, <clears throat> and they they wanted they wanted to do it, and they were like, "Great, we'll we'll give you an advance, we'll give you an editor, but you've written three hundred and fifty thousand words, and you've interviewed too many people. We need it down to seventy thousand, and you're going to have to work out who you're going to cut from the book." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. I'll you know I'll hang on to it. I'll hang on to it until I can I can put it out." 
um, the whole ethos of was, was wasn't just God bless them, love them, Mal Donaghy, Ricky Hill, Brian, and all that. It was it was the stories of the of the apprentices from all the eras coming through that that period because some of the best stories, some of the best for the best recollections of you got to remember these some of these lads were at the club may not have ever played for the first team or one appearance, but they were there four or five years of, of real, you know, um, of their formative years from 16 through to, you know, 2021. Um, and some of the lads come back. What do you want to talk to? I'm half, I, only, I only played one game. Now you don't want to talk to me. And then you almost have to start peeling away at it. And then once they got talking, they, they I think they quite enjoyed the process. Mm, excuse me. But um, no, that's yeah. fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, of course, we normally flip over. Um, to Marvin and ask the manager, but of course, yeah. <laughs> we only have one manager for this team. Um, the man who was in charge for for this for the period of time, um, obviously being Mr. David Pleat. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to make, in terms of getting access to the book, um, you, mm. you do quite a lot of book signings. Is the best way to follow you on social media, that type of thing. If they do, obviously people can buy it on a number of different platforms. But if they want yep. to come on down, they can buy it on the day. Um, what's where's the best way to kind of find out where you're doing your book signings? I know we're, yep. I know we're recording this a couple of months ahead, but no, um, particularly for volume two, yeah, is so it social, social media or messaging so, so, or what? Yeah, social media. Well, there's a little bit of both. We've built up quite a nice little network now <clears throat> where. And I've been, you know, quite open with people um, at book signings. You know, I talk to a lot of people on WhatsApp, um, you know, just to keep them informed and form some little WhatsApp groups of like information WhatsApp groups of, of what's going on with the book, um, as well as, you know, your usual social media channels, things like that. Um, but yeah, so as, as, as soon as we get anything, um, you know, that that's it's as much as something can be in stone because things happen and things change, yeah. um, you know, um so as soon as something is, is is in agreement then we'll we'll we will we try not to absolutely drench social media because we don't want people to go oh god every day okay we get it you've got a book signing coming up but it's it's you know it's and everyone's it's it's certainly not a case of well you've bought a book but you keep coming back and i, I love it that people come back um and and get you know people have asked me and they've been kind enough to ask me consider it to say look i've already bought the book but do you mind if I, you know, if I still get the players on the next signing to sign it? Of course, absolutely, you know, absolutely. And and it's lovely because they come back and they've read a bit more of the book and the, and you start talking about it and you get that real time feedback. Um, because I did, I didn't know how people were going to react to the book and and it's been it's been fantastic. And I think because it's a mix, it's not just your your you know your your top ten, top fifteen players because it's a real mix of 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 some 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 of the some of the players that are in volume one where a few people never even heard of them you know that there was one one lad that came in on on loan in 1980 just to, as cover for alan judge as cover for the reserve team but he had a story because it turned out that he four years before that he was winning the fa cup playing in goal for southampton against man united and then four years later he'd had an injury and he'd found himself in walsall's reserves in the fourth division but but david pleat knew that he was a solid goalkeeper and that he could come in as cover for jake when when alan judge was injured and he he, only, he played 10 games in the reserves um never never played in the first team was never he was never um under any illusions that it was going to be anything more than that you know you know and, and but that was still an interesting story for, for, from his side of it you know so it was it was just getting that mix and i think people have really enjoyed that and i've enjoyed because I, I thought about whether to write it chronologically and then drop in quotes but it just seemed to be natural that the way that we we we'd invested 
our time and the, and the players had invested their time that it deserved to to be a chapter for each player. So a lot of the feedback I've had from a lot of people in the industry as well um, is that they've enjoyed that they don't have to invest a, a chunk of time to read the book that they can go in and go on. I'm going to write, I'm going to read Alan West's chapter today. I'm going to read, you know, this, that, and the other, and I can just dip in and out of it. And I, and I can get something different, even though some of the, some of the events cross over, but it's interesting because it's from a different person's perspective, yeah. how one person saw those, that run of games or that time off the pitch with what was going on. Another people, you know, other people see it a different way. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really, really interesting way of doing it. And it sounds fascinating. And, um, I want to say on behalf of myself and Marvin, um, not to speak for yeah, Marvin, well, um, I want to say thank appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I want to say thank you oh, for it. coming on. And it was great to hear about the about your your kind of your your stories and um, and also how you came about Luton, but also the book as well um, and your best eleven. So I want to say that was Phil, the kit man, Duffy's best eleven. Thank you, Phil. <laughs>